welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of Guest and Guest, and the citation for this case is 2022 UKSC 27. And this week we are looking at a family dispute that gives the Supreme Court an opportunity to consider the nature of proprietary estoppel. One of the parties, Andrew Guest, is the eldest child of the other party, David and Josephine Guest. There are two other children, Ross, who is also a farmer, and Jan, who is not. The parents own the farm, and when Andrew left school, he began working for his parents, ultimately doing so for 32 years. Over time, Andrew was given more responsibilities, and while he was paid for the work that he did, it was at a comparatively low rate. That was because he was promised a substantial share of the farm following his father's death, so that Andrew would be able to carry on a viable farming business. Indeed, in 1981, the parents had made wills that set 20% of the estate aside for Jan, with the farm to be inherited in equal shares between the two sons, Andrew and Ross. Unfortunately, as you might have guessed, this did not come to fruition. From 2008 onwards, Andrew's relationship with his parents began to deteriorate, and in 2014 the parents made new wills that disinherited Andrew. A year later, David and Josephine effectively fired their son and gave notice for him to leave his job and his home on the farm. It was at this point that Andrew brought the current legal proceedings against his parents on the basis of proprietary estoppel. For those who aren't aware of this legal term, proprietary estoppel comes about when a promise is made, a person relies on the promise to their detriment, and then that promise is broken in some way. That clearly seems to apply to this scenario, as Andrew worked on the farm at a reduced rate on the basis of assurances that he would one day inherit a share of the farm. The trial judge agreed and ordered the parents to pay £1.3 million as an estimate of what Andrew would have inherited. When the parents appealed, they did not dispute the conclusion that the doctrine of proprietary estoppel applied, but instead argued how the award was calculated. They suggested that rather than the compensation being based on Andrew's expected inheritance, it should be calculated by assessing his contribution to the value of the farm and his loss of the opportunity to work elsewhere. Furthermore, the parents also argued that the amount Andrew receives should be reduced because he is getting the payment now, rather than upon the death of his parents. Those arguments were rejected by the Court of Appeal, and so the parents appealed to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. Lord Briggs gave the lead judgment and began by looking at previous case law. He agreed that the usual remedy in cases of proprietary estoppel was to simply enforce the promise as a way of remedying the injustice. However, when a simple enforcement of the promise would itself be unjust, then the court could instead order a payment based on the value that the affected party could expect to receive. Lord Briggs also noted at this point that the remedy for proprietary estoppel is not about simply compensating for the detriment that has been suffered. The role of the court is to decide if going back on the promise is unconscionable, and if it is, then they should seek to enforce the promise by transferring the property in dispute. If transferring the property is not possible or would cause injustice to others, 
then alternatives should be considered, such as a monetary equivalent. Furthermore, if the remedy means that a party gets the property sooner than expected, then the court should generally apply a discount because of that benefit. Taking that into account, the justices agreed with the trial judge when they based their remedy on Andrew's expected inheritance. Nevertheless, they did note that there should be a deduction to the award because Andrew will get the money sooner than he would have if it had been inherited. When it comes to what the remedy should be, Lord Briggs gave the parents a choice. They could either put the farm into trust for the children or make an immediate payment of compensation to Andrew in line with what was ordered by the trial judge, but with a discount for the early receipt. I think that it is important to say that while this was the view of the majority in this case, there was an alternative argument provided by Lord Leggett and Lord Stevens that gets to the crux of the matter. They argue that the core principle behind proprietary estoppel is to ensure that a party does not suffer a detriment as the result of a promise. In order to do that, they suggest a court may either 1. Compel performance of the promise or equivalent payment be made, or 2. Order compensation be paid to put the party in the positions as if they had not relied on the promise. Which method the court chooses should be based on whichever of these two remedies results in the smaller award. The minority therefore conclude that Andrew should only be paid £600,000, to compensate him for what he could have earned from working at a different farm all that time. Unfortunately, I think this approach misses the point, and I'm much more inclined to agree with the majority. We can think of the choice that the Supreme Court faced by looking at it slightly differently. In tort law, we talk about remedies as an attempt at restitutio in integrum, or restoring the parties to the original position. In other words, when a wrong is committed, the courts try to restore the parties to how they were before that happened. However, remedies in contract law will seek to enforce the agreement and put the parties in a position as if the contract has been completed. One remedy looks backwards and the other looks forwards, and you can see how they marry up to the proposals by the justices in this case. The minority want to make an award that pretends the promise was never made in the first place, and devises an alternative history where Andrew simply gets a job on another farm. The majority recognise that a promise was made and seeks to enforce that promise. I think that latter view is more accurate. The promise between Andrew and his parents was not a contract, but you can see how it maps onto the fundamentals of an agreement. Andrew promises to work for the family and in return he gets a share of the farm when his parents die. Advocating for a remedy where the courts effectively pretend that did not happen just doesn't do service to the facts of the case. It is true that it does at least provide some compensation, but it fails to truly rectify the injustice. Well, many thanks for tuning into this episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. It is time for my semi-regular appeal for your reviews of this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. UK Law Weekly tends to dip in and out of the iTunes chart, but your reviews help to get it noticed so that other people can hopefully learn something, and I hope this is a useful resource for law students and professionals alike. In a similar fashion, 43 people have provided great reviews on Spotify, but for some reason when you search for UK Law on that platform, 
It puts some podcasts above this one, even though they don't have UK law in the title and don't have any ratings whatsoever. To put it another way, your reviews matter, and it has been a little while since anyone left a written review on iTunes for me to read out. So if you have five minutes and are happy for your words to be read out at the end of an episode, then I would truly appreciate it. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!